starting in verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Please be seated. No, I don't have one, do I? I don't even need that, do I? It is the case when I read through the book of John, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 are my anchor points of that particular book. I have it marked, at least in my Bible, as being the key to that particular book that Jesus did many other Uh, signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. And also, when you look in uh, John chapter 21 and verse number 25, you'll read a supposition of John who says, uh, if the books were written that, uh, that would contain everything Jesus did, that it would not be possible that the world could hold them. When you and I are introduced to Jesus in the book, of John. John is writing this to a group of people who may have never even heard of his name. Don't know anything about him. Uh, Wouldn't be able to pick him out uh, virtually of a lineup. And so as you and I look at this particular book, John is going to start in an interesting point. John is actually going to start his book before Genesis 1 and verse number 1. As we begin to read the first 14 verses of this particular book, we begin to see the deity of Christ unfold. But Christ, Jesus the Christ. What does that really mean? When we look at his deity and we see it begin to unravel before us, what does that really mean? Let's start in John chapter 5, verse about 1 through 9. There you see uh, Jesus being beside the pool at Bethsaida. And he runs into a man who is lame there. He has a difficult time. He has a, well, actually no time at all being able to walk. He's carried everywhere, and Jesus heals him. This is not just some lame man from somewhere. This guy is known by everybody around him. And so when Jesus heals this lame man, this lame man goes running off, leaping and jumping and saying, Jesus has healed me. And at some point in time, the crowd begins to look and say, hey, that's, that's the guy. That's the man who used to be beside the, uh, the pool of Bethsaida. What is he doing up and running around? Well, around verse 10 through about verse 13, the Jewish leaders who were there begin to question this lame man, and he tells them exactly what happened. And from, from verse 16 to verse 18, uh, he says, he healed me because he's the son of God. 
Now, they didn't like that so much. Because, especially in the Hebrew language, when someone is mentioned as being the son of, in the legal and authoritative terms, he has the same rights as. This lame man exclaimed the deity of Jesus and the rulers and the the chief rulers of that day did not want to hear it. Now, here's the fact. The world is not going to accept the deity of Christ. They're just not going to do it. And more interesting than that, most of the religious world won't either. He will be mentioned as a God or a part of and not wholly as God or someone who was spiritual but not really God as he lived on this earth. And I guess for us, we need to answer the question this. Does it matter if anyone ever acknowledges and understands the deity of Christ? Does it ever matter? The answer is absolutely it does. The, the fact of him being the Messiah, the fact of him being the sacrifice, the fact that his church is based on that sacrifice is all based on his deity. And you and I, as followers of Christ, wearing the name Christian, should know and appreciate that deity of Christ. It is Paul, or rather Peter, in John chapter 6, verse 66 through 68, who would understand the deity of Christ. As the disciples were scattering away from Jesus, uh, those 12 hand-picked disciples were there with him. He turned to them and said, are you not also going to go and, and follow after what these folks are following after? And it would be Peter who stands up and say, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. What an interesting phrase by Peter because sometimes he's, he's so sporadic. He, he is either all in or all out. Do you remember those three times where he said, I don't even know who Jesus is. And yet right here he says, who are we going to go to? You see Philip in Acts chapter 8 who speaking to that Ethiopian eunuch says, if you believe you can be baptized right now. What did that eunuch say? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's not a point in time in where Philip said, wait just a minute, fella. What kind of nonsense are you talking about? No, he didn't say that. He would be in wholehearted agreement with that. It is even Jesus who knew he was the Son of God. John chapter 8 and verse number 24, Jesus would say toward the end of that, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now, I know probably most every English version also supplies the word he there, unless you believe that I am he. Generally, those words that are in italics have been supplied for us to help us understand and digest that sentence a little better. And in this case, I fully believe that it is misplaced. Jesus is not saying, unless you believe that I am He. 
Jesus is making a reference to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses speaks to God and says, who am I going to tell them is going to lead them out of Israel? And he says, you tell them I am will lead them out. And Jesus would say about himself, unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am deity, that I am God, then you'll die in your sins. And so as John unfolds the deity of Christ, he mentions it in three different ways, the first 14 verses of this gospel. He mentions them as being word, as being light, and as being life. Now let's take a moment and read. John chapter 1 begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear uh, of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man, and cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. As John 1.1 begins, this is previous to Genesis chapter 1. Now, there is a detail in Genesis chapter 1 that you and I have to make ourselves fully aware of. And that is the beginning of the concept of time and space. I'll let you chew on that for just a moment. Are you telling me that Jesus was before time and space? Only if he's God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice what's said here in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. You remember in in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2? And three, there as God is creating, and on day number one, he said, let there be light. This is not a trick question. This is not some kind of wordplay for you as if I'm smarter than you, because I'm not. When we say things, we use words, don't we? Oh, yeah. When God speaks this world into existence, He speaks it through the Word. This one that was coetaneous. That means uh, existing at the same time with God. 
What an interesting idea to look at Jesus before He became the Son of Mary. When He was the Word. John mentions Him that way as he begins. And he mentions Him that way because of a very famous teacher in Greek philosophy. And I wish I knew his name. It's right on the tip of my tongue. It ends in some kind of Ophilus, I'm sure. So uh, this particular teacher found himself one day straddling a small creek, watching that creek kind of just flow through his legs when he found himself beginning to cry. And his students would ask him, why are you crying? And he would say this, I'm crying because I will never see this exact creek again. Please don't study under this guy. He's a nut. There is, however, an interesting idea he posed to the Greek nation and the, and the ancient Greek world. And it's this. Flux. The ancient Greeks thought that the world was created by flux. Now, for any of you who may have soldered before, you know and understand flux is that gooey kind of stuff that you put inside the fitting and heat it up, and then you touch that uh, metal to it, as far as I know, and it sort of sucks it in there, right? How does that work? I don't have a clue. The idea of flux is the same idea mentioned in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the flux. He gives it the name Word so that they'll know exactly what he's talking about. Uh, when you read in some particular versions of the Bible, you'll read in the beginning was the Word and the Word was a God. That's incorrect. You want to know why? There are no indefinite articles in the Greek. There is no A. I mean, there is an A or a letter that <laughs> looks in the English like an A, but it's not used that way. It's never has it ever been written that there is, the word is a God. It is God. The word is God. What does that mean? Well, it means in John chapter 1 and verse 2 that everything that was created was created by those words, that by that Son of God, who will come and make his entrance through a virgin in Bethlehem. This word that was mentioned is found in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 15 through 17. In Colossians chapter 1, he's mentioned as the firstborn. The firstborn unto, unto preeminence. That is, he's not the firstborn of creation. He's going to be the firstborn of the resurrection. And not just of any resurrection, because throughout the Old Testament, you'll see prophets raise children here or there. He is the first of the resurrection of those who will not die again. This is the word that is made mention of by John in John chapter 1 and verse number uh, 1 and 2. And it's also interesting to note here that when he is mentioned as having the preeminence, that he is having the preeminence in the church. So when we read about this one who is called the Word, we automatically see him 
as something different. Notice verse number four. In him was life. Life and light. We'll see those uh, run synonymous throughout how Jesus would be spoken of throughout the book of John. I want you to go back to John chapter 11 where we were this morning. And we were standing in front of the tomb at Lazarus' place this morning. I want you to back up in that narrative. And I want you to be on that road with him as he makes it into Bethany. And as he's first confronted by Mary and then Martha, they say the same thing to him. And it's interesting how he responds. They say to him, if you had, not, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And he responds, you don't believe he's alive? And, and Mary and Martha both say, yes, we believe he will be alive in the resurrection. We, we believe that life is still there, that, that there's part of, of Lazarus that keeps on living, just as the Bible would teach. And then in verse number 25 there in John chapter 11, Jesus makes this statement, I am the resurrection and the life. It doesn't happen without me. The resurrection in itself itself as it begins doesn't happen without the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. He is that firstborn. He's the one with preeminence. But it, that resurrection never happens without Jesus the Christ. Also, life itself. I think he's pointing back here to John chapter 1. Life itself doesn't happen without Jesus. So when he begins to mention himself as being life and light, we see him being mentioned uh, in those two fashions. Look at verse number 5. The light shine in the darkness, the darkness comprehended it not. Why? Have you ever been in a dark room? You ever turn on the lights? Does it, is it just bright where those bulbs are? Or does that light shine out and permeate through that darkness, pushing that darkness away? Light and darkness can't be in the same place. Did you know that if you were to take a lighter and light it and hold the flame up and hold it Say, back here like this, you would see the shadow of my hand, but not of that flame. Interesting ideas. Light and darkness don't exist in the same space. Light exposes darkness. This Christ that is coming through his deity is going to expose the problems that man has. And he's going to die for that. That the problems that they have is uh, we think God wants us to worship and to live and to act this way, and we think we can kind of go this way with it, and we'll just push it over here as far as we can. When that light comes about and exposes that darkness, uh, then they're confronted with what they should be doing. We see that throughout the book of John. Never, it never comes about. Look at verse number 6. Or, yeah, verse number 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. Now, 
Notice this next verse. And if you write in your Bible, here is a great passage to underline. He, John the Immerser, was not the light. He was not the light. I am positive that you, like me, and I would assume pretty much every family probably in the southeastern portion of the United States, either knows of or even has perhaps someone in your family who has decided to follow the religion known as Baptist or Southern Baptist. The idea of this particular religious branch is that it is based off of the teachings of John the Baptist, who would say, I'm not the light. I'm not the one to follow. As a matter of fact, you know what he would say to his followers while he was alive? Go follow Jesus. An interesting idea. And it's in verse 10, verse 9 and 10, where we see Jesus come into the world as the true light. And, and the world would be made by him, and the world wouldn't even recognize him. The world would just sort of pass by him on their way. And I'm not sure if the world did that through ignorance or apathy. But we have to ask ourselves the question, which one is it today? Which one does the world choose today when they choose to not know who Jesus the Christ is? They choose ignorance or do they just choose apathy? As we see Jesus being the Word, we see Him exposing the truth of God. As we see Him as the light, He begins to expose the darkness of men. But here in flesh, verse 11, He comes to His own people. His own people, and, and his own people refuse to see him. Are we talking about his family? Uh, in, a, in a very small sense, you are. You see, how many of you have brothers and or sisters? Good, that's a lot of you. How, how many of you would believe your brother is the son of God if he were just to tell you that? I can keep my hand raised because I don't have a brother. You think my sisters would believe that? No. When we look at John chapter 1 and verse number 11, the, the immediate context that we think of in our mind is his immediate family. And, and rightly so. But it goes deeper than that. See, when he comes to his own people and his own people receive him not... There, John's speaking about the entire uh, race of Israelites. They've been looking and looking and looking for years, and he met every qualification, every single part he met, and they didn't care.
And for us, looking backward some 2,000 years, that seems to be a very hard pill to swallow. How can you see this with your own eyes? How can you watch all of these things that are happening in the flesh right in front of you and you just don't care? Hmm. That's a good question. How can we read the inspired Word of God? How can we be so familiar with the accounts that are found within this little leather-bound book? And we walk outside those doors and we just don't care. It's the same attitude. There's, there's nothing really different there. Look, notice verse number 12. Verse number 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. From a group of people who didn't want him from his very birth, as he's pitched out of, a, of an inn to go be born in a barn, all the way through his life as they didn't want to hear him, and eventually as they nail him on a cross. The very next verse is telling about what he would do in this flesh as a preacher and as a teacher of God's Word. He would offer them salvation and the opportunity to be called the sons of God. And they just thought he was crazy. Notice what's said here. Gave them to become the sons of God, even to them that would believe on His name. Those who would believe and continue through the process of believing. Look at verse 13. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Does that hint to you of John chapter 3 and Nicodemus as he comes to Jesus by night and asks that great question? And Jesus said, you're going to have to be born. And he said, Man, I'm, oh, I'm too old to be born again. And he said, you're missing, missing the point here, aren't you? You're going to have to be born of the water and the Spirit in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's foreshadowed in verse number 13, as you and I find it. You know, we started with the Word, and we looked at uh, Jesus being the life and the light, and then we noticed Him being the flesh. But 14, chapter, verse number 14 of chapter 1, really fills this whole process out for us. And the Word became flesh and inhabited a tent right next to us. That would be the, the original mindset here. He has put on a, a cloak of flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw Him, we beheld His glory, as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And we would see Him live a life that would be holy and pure before man and before God, and some would flock to Him. And others wouldn't care one bit. Jesus the Word. Jesus the Light. Jesus 
the flesh is the man who dwelt among us, is the God who dwelt among us. And here you have an interesting oxymoron. God who dwells among us, the eternal God Himself, has to die. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you've ever even thought of this. Those things that are eternal don't die. How is he going to perform this? He's going to have to put on a body. The reason why he is born is to fulfill the will of the Father in buying us back to God, going to a cross and suffering for us. Isaiah wrote about it 750 years before Jesus was even born. By his stripes, Isaiah 53, verse 7, we are healed. Healed of what? I feel pretty good. I don't, I don't feel like I'm sick. I don't feel like I'm... I, I feel all right. Healed of what? Sin. The guilt of sin. The point at which we forget about the guilt of sin... And we just say that's just how it is. Grab your red songbooks and turn to page 525. Page 525 of your red songbook is based loosely off of John chapter 1 amongst other passages. My Jesus knows when I am lonely. That's a human characteristic. That God the Father doesn't understand in the same way that Jesus the Christ does. And that's why He stands between us and the Father. And makes intercession. He knows each pain... He sees each tear. He understands each lonely heartache. And He understands because He cares. My Jesus knows when I am burdened. He knows how much my heart can bear. He lifts me up when I am sinking and brings me joy beyond compare. And when other friends seem to forget me. When skies are dark, when hope is gone, by faith, I can feel His arms about me. And by faith, I can hear Him say, You're not alone. Why is that? Because my Jesus knows just what I need. He satisfies those needs. And He supplies those needs. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. He knows 
just what I need. Because he too lived in this flesh. And while he did, he was still the single source of life on this side of eternity. Now, as he's gone to the right hand of the throne of God, he would leave that duty into the hands of the children of God while they're here. Yes, that's you and me. He would say to us, you be the salt. You be the light. You show them the way to the Father. And you show them that that's through me. John chapter 14 and verse number 6. Have you put on Jesus Christ in baptism? As I look over this particular assembly, I see most of us have. But there are those who may not have. Today, you have a distinct opportunity to change eternity for yourself. You have an opportunity to be obedient unto God, thereby changing your eternity from hell to heaven and being ushered into eternity by the angels of God. Would you do that? It's time. For you who have been obedient to God, but perhaps you're not living that way, it's time to come home. Don't allow our Lord, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 26, to have died in vain. Put away that stubborn will. Come back home. Right now, while we stand and sing. Sweet.